You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. So many of the things that Keisha was saying this morning really tie right in with the message. The Lord always does that. David does a good job of preparing with the songs, with the text, all that. But the Lord always goes the extra, <laughs> extra step on that and just ties it all together. You should know, one of the things that Keisha did not tell you, but we actually have a new policy here at Grace. been in effect for about six years or so. We don't allow people to join unless they have four children, at least four children. <laughs> so, um, you... <laughs> That uh, actually would probably be closer to it than you would think. But the fact that so many people have so many children makes it difficult. If you're one of those who said, I put in my time in the nursery and I did all this when I was younger. And it's their turn now. We can't, we can't keep up with the kids. It's just impossible. So we truly need volunteers. If, if you are here for the first time, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, if you're here on your own, if you're here with your family, if you're a student, uh, checking out the place, you've picked a good Sunday to be here, Potluck Sunday, it's some really... I was back there, I, I should have... Uh, I, I did not actually fulfill my responsibility as taste tester this morning, so uh, I'm hungry, so we'll all get to this fairly quickly if you... Um, Look, even if you were not anticipating potluck, please stay. We have a plenty food for you. And if we don't, we'll go get Bojangles chicken or something. We'll make sure that everyone gets fed. And it'll give you a chance to meet some of the ones who have been here for a long time. Or it will give you the chance to interact with someone who, like you, is here for the very first time. We would love for you to join us for a meal after the service. If this is your first week here, you should know that we're in a mini-series, like a five-week mini-series called Gospel Community as Witness. We're in the second week of this uh, series. It's somewhat of a conclusion to a year-long session on evangelism, but not not necessarily your everyday uh, series on evangelism. One of the things that we discovered this past year is that the Lord spends so much more time explaining the gospel to those who already believe than he does to than he does telling us that we need to share Christ with others. And I think one of the reasons is the better you know the gospel, the more you understand the gospel, and the gospel is far wider than the plan of salvation. But the better you understand the gospel, the more it just overflows. I interact with so many of you and you're telling me about how you're sharing with people in your neighborhood or or at work it just you can't help it everything you're thinking if you're thinking gospel it just sort of flows from you um we'll be in in john 13 today and, and although our primary focus will be on the last half of the chapter most people know john 13 35 where jesus told his disciples by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we had a theme verse for this series, this would be it. Um, Jesus was pointing out that community 
A community in which people love and serve and forgive one another is quite attractive to those who are on the outside looking in. And in so saying, he was challenging them, commanding them to be this community. Followers of Jesus have every reason to live in such a way that not only pleases the Lord, but is attractive to those who are outside and those who don't know Jesus. Living in a loving community, a serving community, is of itself a witness to the world in which Jesus is exalted. Before we jump in this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about list, you know, points that you see in a sermon. When someone's pastor says, okay, point one, point two, point three. Two or three things I want to say. First of all, list can help organize thoughts and bring focus to truth and its implications. It just, it, it, it sort of summarizes what God is and was was and is saying to us. And, and God has lists all through scripture of sort, uh, sorts. There, there are the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of the all th- 613 laws that are listed in the Pentateuch. There are eight Beatitudes, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, and you get the idea. We, the, the Lord employs list in Scripture. It can be a good thing, but you should also be aware that list can be quite distracting, allowing one to be content to wade in the shallows. The, while there are 12 apostles and, and 10 commandments, it's, the Lord doesn't say to the, to, to the Philippians or the Colossians, okay, here's the truth. Now, let's apply this truth. One, two, three, four, five. Lots of things are said in application, but when we get caught up on list, we can be content on an over-focus on application and keep you from a deeper level thinking about God's truth. So make sure that happens. And number three, there are going to be a lot of lists today. Uh, this may actually be the most list I have ever given in a message. It, 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 so it may be helpful for you to write some of these down and, and think about them later, but know that this is more less than usual as we think about the gospel witness of a, of a serving community. This morning we're going to think about the time in John 13, it's recorded in John 13, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Now, it's just so often the case with Scripture, if you don't understand first century culture, you can miss the... The full impact of what was being said. And that's, look, that's one of my responsibilities is to explain what first century culture was all about. So that the the meaning will have the same impact to us that it did in that day. I'm not sure though that we can comprehend the shock (coughs) that the disciples experienced when Jesus began to wash their feet. It's not as though... Jesus got up and washed the dishes. I mean, look, what Jesus did had a far greater, it was a far greater act of humility than if the President of the United States came to your house, got up after dinner, washed the dishes, and then moved to to clean your bathrooms. It's like the President of the United, wait, wait, wait! What Jesus did was even more shocking than that. As you can imagine, the the dusty roads uh, of that day did a number on sandal-clad 
feet. And so washing the, the feet of guests was a standard act when friends entered a home in the first century. But you can imagine who got the job of washing feet. It was the lowest of the low slaves. In a Jewish home that, uh, where the Jewish leaders had slaves, they wouldn't even let their Jewish slaves wash feet. They reserved that for Gentile slaves. Obviously, on the occasion of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are there, and no one had washed Jesus' feet nor any of the disciples' feet. And before you judge the disciples too harshly, make sure you understand just how socially humiliating this task was. Look, it, it may have been acceptable for one of the disciples to wash Jesus' feet, but it was un thinkable that Jesus, their leader, their rabbi, would wash their feet. So with, with the, the background in our hearts and minds, I'm going to read John 13 verses 1 through 17 as our text today. Um, it is our custom to stand as the scripture is being read, so I'll ask you if you would please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. <coughs> Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, to you? Wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. By the way, let me just stop because I'm not going to talk about this during the message. This is one of those places where we understand what it means to confess sins as Christians. As believers, we are called to confess our sins. Some people say, when you've been forgiven by Jesus, you never have to confess anything before because he forgave you past, present. No, our feet get dirty in this world. And even though we don't need a full bath, we do. our feet need to be clean. They need to be washed. And, and Jesus beautifully forgives us whenever we confess our sins. So you are clean, he says in verse 10, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? And they're probably like, uh, uh, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Would you be seated, please, and close your eyes for just a moment. Can you, can you sense the confusion in the room as Jesus removes his robe, <clears throat> puts a towel around his waist, and takes a basin of water? This was an act that Jews would have considered despicable. Can you hear or even feel the silence? As he pours the water into a basin and prepares to wash the disciples' feet. Are you as bewildered as the disciples as Jesus comes to you? To do for you, to wash your feet. Doing that which is reserved by the lowest of slaves. Father, we confess that our feet are dirty with pride. We confess that our feet, Lord, are dirty with the ease with which we get offended. The, the how dare you think of me in a certain way. And the Lord of the universe stooped to wash the feet of his disciples. And really, by extension, our feet. So, Lord, as we think about this community that is going to become increasingly important in a day in which the world is increasingly hostile to the message of the gospel, we pray that you would give us a heart to serve one another. <laughs> Lord, there are so many who have served each of us this day who have prepared food, who have come early, who are planning to stay late. Thank you for their service. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Christ that they have set for us. We pray that you would encourage our hearts. Not, Lord, just convict us, but, but actually Encourage and thrill our hearts to think that we get to serve just as Jesus served. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you would be surprised at how many ideas there are about exactly when this event took place. This Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Most conservative scholars would agree that Jesus washed his disciples' feet during or after the Passover meal. So... What we're going to do 
and our potluck. We're going to have communion. Then we're going to have a foot wash. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to do that. Um, but that's when it happened. It was during or just after the Passover meal on the Thursday night before Jesus was crucified. And I agree with that assessment. Luke 24, 22, 24 tells us that during the meal, the disciples had had con- a conversation. Guess what their conversation was about? Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? That is rather unfortunate timing for such a conversation, wouldn't you say? Uh, Jesus gave them a lesson they would never forget. And his example extends far beyond this small group of people. It extends all the way uh, down through the ages to us today. So before we look carefully at this text, I want to share three general observations about being a servant. But before we even do that, I want to give full disclosure. These three points and the main points come from Bob Anderson, who was the founder of Team Valley Ranch, where Ricky and April served, where I served, and where Renee Paquin, our friend uh, who came in for the weekend, uh, served as well. And many of others of you have served. Uh, at TVR, and if anybody who has served at camp knows this, you serve at camp. I mean, you you go as a camper and you think, man, riding horses all day, playing basketball, uh, doing all the other things. Uh, no, it's not like that at all. It's um, you are required to be a servant. But look, if you're going to be effective at all, Anywhere you serve, Tom Ray, several others served. That's why I shouldn't have even started because lots of you have been up at TVR. And others of you have served at other camp. No matter where you are, it's a challenge to serve as Jesus did. So three quick thoughts about servants before we draw more thoughts from the text. And by the way, there are a few sermons that I will preach through the years here and there. This one actually was not too long ago, but it's perfect in this service about, or in this series about community and our role as as servants in the community. First of all, a servant is one who sees needs around him or her. Are you aware of other people's needs or are you one of those who says kind of on the way out of the door, hey, look, if you need anything, you just call me, okay? (laughs) Which this says more than this. Just call me and I'll be happy to to help. Jesus saw the dirty feet and knew that something needed to be done. Second, a servant moves to meet needs without being told. I would guess it never entered the disciples' minds to wash feet. I mean, they were too busy arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus moved to meet the need. Again, just think about what it means that he moved to meet this need. A servant meets needs without being told. Last, a servant looks only to the master for approval. So if one of the disciples had gotten up to wash the feet of everyone else, do you think the rest of the disciples would have approved or disapproved? They would have probably said, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Andrew, Andrew, you're embarrassing me. I'm your brother. Peter, don't you know? Do you think Jesus would have approved or disapproved? What, What matters? 
What else matters? Let's look at the text to see what is required of one who wishes to be called a servant in the third of four lists today. First, a servant makes proper use of limited time. Jesus, this was his last night with the disciples. He had a lot to tell them. Do you think his time would have been better served teaching or washing their feet? Let me ask you this. Which do you think the disciples remembered more when they thought back to that night? The stuff that he taught them. He said the Holy Spirit's going to bring these things to your mind. But do you think they... Don't you imagine for years and years they said, You remember? You remember when he did? I, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. It's never a waste of time to serve someone. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What do you want what do you hope to accomplish in the years that God will give you on this earth? How many years do you think you have left? You may think you have your whole life stretched out in front of you. But in reality, none of us has much time. Not one of us has a lot of time. Life is short, much shorter than we think it is. And if we want to make the best use of our time, we had best be serving others. The second requirement of a servant is that service must be based on love. Well, service that matters to God anyway. I mean, lots of people serve. But then people complain about their service. Or they spit in the soup, you know, or whatever. Jesus' love for his disciples was evident throughout his ministry, but never more than on this night. He loved them to the full extent of his love. He showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end. Verse 1 says that. There are lots of different ways we could express our love for someone. We could give a gift, sacrifice a possession, spend time with him or her. But most of our offerings point more to our generosity than our humility. We tend to do things so that others will notice. How do I know this? Well, you know, I look in the mirror every day. We may give food or money to the homeless or offer rides to those in need. But I wonder how many of us would act in a manner in our culture equal to Jesus using his robe and being dressed in a way that was contemptible to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And then washing the feet of his followers. Would we serve as Jesus did when the very thought of such service would bring, bring grasp of horrors from those who know us well? Only true love will compel us to serve others like Jesus 
serves us. We cannot serve everyone. And I recognize that some people take advantage of your willing heart. And it is sometimes a waste of time to continue to do something for someone who will never be satisfied and who demands and requires. I recognize that. But far better to err in the direction of service than not. So ask God for a discernment, for a loving heart that will follow his lead. A third characteristic of a servant is that a servant is sure of his standing with God. This may be one of the most important thoughts in all of this. Thinking about serving the Lord. If we are secure in our relationship with God, we will be free to serve others. If, on the other hand... We indulge our insecurities. We will be people of the petty rather than people of the towel. You know the old saying, everybody wants, all Christians want to be called a servant. They just don't want to be treated like one. Our feelings will get hurt. We'll focus primarily on ourselves. We will think about how our rights are being violated. And the only people we will serve will be ourselves. How many times did your feelings get hurt this week? What if the Lord let our faces show what's on the inside? We'd all be walking around like, I can't believe it. We're like children. At the first three, Jesus knowing That the Father had given all things into his hands. Once again, we can't even begin to comprehend what that means. All things have been given into Jesus' hands. Knowing that and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He did what he did out of a heart that felt Fully accepted and loved by the Father. Most of us want to be affirmed by others. And the Lord very much recognizes that need. And he he commands others to encourage and affirm us. Actually, he encourages us to affirm and encourage other people. And absolutely. I I was listening uh, last week to an interview... Um, with a lady who was talking about community. I don't know her name. Um, but community, talking about how gratitude, all of us in a community know the, um, the, the, the disappointment of sacrificially serving and nobody recognizing it. And we are commanded to recognize that in one another. But when it comes to us, when God speaks to us, he says, let another praise you, not your own lips. You just, you don't worry. I'm enough for you. And, and, and then it's like when you read the other stuff, it's like he's saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to have other people encourage you. We, we crave feedback and we long for others to affirm our service and thus affirm our value. The only one we have to please, though, is in heaven. And if you're, you are secure in your relationship with the Lord, it frees you to serve other people. So let's make sure called with Jesus and then move to serve. The fourth thing about being a servant is that we are called to serve even our enemies. 
So how many pairs of feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. Remember, he said, all of you are clean, but not you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Judas was one of the disciples whose feet Jesus washed. So it may be that the Lord has called you to wash the feet of someone who has mistreated you badly. Even <coughs> someone who has betrayed you. You know, you can't really be betrayed by someone unless you truly love them. I mean, people can do you wrong. But to be betrayed, for you to feel betrayed, you have to really love someone deeply. And when you do and they turn against you, it's painful. I, I know that you feel you may not be ready for that. But somewhere along the line, you may be called to serve that person. Let me just jump in and say this. Some of you have heard this before. I went through a time where I, I was being badly mistreated. Or at least I thought I was anyway. And uh, I was at a, at a service. Uh, my wife and I were at a service. And, and the pastor was talking about you must um, where Jesus commanded people to um, forgive their enemies and he said now look I know your enemies and, and bless those who persecute you he said I know <laughs> in that, that most of us the ones who badly mistreat us are often within the church and Jesus was talking to people who could have been killed by those who oppose the gospel but <clears throat> the pastor said and I know how you pray Lord, bless this person. But into everything that you, everything that you're doing in his heart and life, show him how he or she has badly mistreated me and how they ought not to do this. And he was saying, don't pray like that. Pray like this. Pray, Lord, bless this individual in every way imaginable. Bless her family, her um, financial life. Bless him in his uh, relationships with other people, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and in his or her mistreatment of me. Please be merciful as I would desire for you to be merciful to me if I were the one offending. And I turned to my wife and said, I can't do that. And within a, two or three days, the Lord said, oh, yes, you can. And oh, yes, you must. What freedom there is to love and forgive and even to serve those who mistreat us. Why should be willing, we be willing to perform such a difficult task? Because of our next point. Service is a direct command of the Lord. Most of us live our lives the way that we think is best. And for many of us, that doesn't leave much time for serving others. As believers, however, we are not given the option of whether we will serve or not. And since our time is limited, we are called to serve, <clears throat> even called to serve those, especially in our own church community. <clears throat> Verses 14 and 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Look, if we refuse to serve our fellow believers, we're elevating our own importance above that of the, our Creator. 
well, I don't have time. Well, he, the one who created you had time, and he's, he's commanded you to do it. If you want to argue about whether this is language of a command or a suggestion, I let's go back to point number one. <laughs> um, look, if the creator of the universe, the keeper of the stars, stoop to wash the feet of common men, who are we to scorn the towel? Who are we to say, not, not me? I've got somebody. Hey, hey, you, over here, come here. Do this. If, on the other hand, we are willing to follow our Lord's example, we will find the last point to be true. Selfless service is the path to happiness. <clears throat> Verse 17 says, <clears throat> if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Why is it that we associate success and wealth with happiness? It's the ultimate goal to be secure, financially secure. Be nice if we had it on top of that. The problem is, whatever you have, it's never enough. It's never enough. It, look, it, 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 it's, it makes sense early in your life to think if I can just get to a point, everything will be okay. But if you've reached your 30s, you know by now it's going to take a whole lot more than money or even success in the thing that is important to you to bring happiness to you deep down inside. It, it's often surprising to discover who is really happy in the world. Oftentimes it's people who have Nothing almost. Nothing. But they're happy. One thing we can say for sure from John 13 is that people who take up the towel in love are blessed and happy. Just because you serve doesn't make you happy. But if you serve as unto the Lord, you will be. But do we really believe that? I mean, we get started on the right foot. Look, I've, I've been happily serving lots of people this week. Because I've been in this text this week. Next week's going to be a better, different challenge, you know. It's going to be sort of in the rearview mirror. And I'm going to be thinking, oh, boy, I can't believe that person did that or this or that. If we believe it. If we believe that true happiness comes from serving others, why do we spend so much time serving ourselves? In his act of humility and service, Jesus set an example for us and indeed instructed us to serve one another in similar ways. And as we serve one another, we serve Jesus according to a principle that we take from Matthew 25, 40. Truly I say to you, whatever you did, that is, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in prison. For one of the least of brothers of mine, you did for me. So whose feet have you washed lately? Not, not literally, of course, but who have you served when humility was required of you to do it? Maybe... It would be better to ask, whose feet have I not washed lately? 
do you see the principle of servanthood in this text? How it applies to so much more than just doing something nice for someone. It's a, it's a spirit with which we approach life. I mean, for instance, who have you criticized this week? Well, I wouldn't do it that way. With whom have you been impatient? How many idiots have you identified on the highways this week? How might you have served someone when instead you thought, I'll just let somebody else do it? Serving well in a community takes both humility and gratitude. And you know what? We must practice gratitude and humility. This was in that interview I was hearing uh, last week. I, does that seem strange to you that you practice humility and gratitude? Think about it. We must practice it. We must intentionally be grateful about the things that God has done for us and the grateful about the things that others have done for us. We must practice humility. It doesn't come naturally. Even if you think it does with somebody, it doesn't for any of us. Well, let's close our time this morning with one more list. Yay! And while this goes for every one of us, I especially want to direct my thoughts to uh, students, incoming freshmen who are looking for a church. Let me commend you, by the way, for, for looking for a church. Here are a few important things to consider when, as you look. First, seek a church community that believes that God has faithfully revealed himself through his word and through his son. Faithfully revealed himself through his word and through his son. In other words, that believes that this book is God's word. Let me ask you, would you marry someone who told you the truth some of the time and, and then made up points uh, the rest of the time? Just made up things and, and you really, and he says like, okay, now here's the thing. Some of this is true, some of it's not true that I'm going to tell you. I'll leave it for you to figure it out. Would you marry someone like that? Why would we play at relating with God and say, well, he sort of revealed himself to us, but I, look, we have no hope of figuring God out on our own. If this book is not scripture, what are we doing? Trying to be better people, more moral people? If this book is unreliable, maybe you feel differently. But if this book is unreliable, to me it seems like a waste of time. To be serious about obeying the things that might be true and might not be true in here. Second, seek a community that exalts the crucified and risen Jesus. It's a part about morality. None of us can be good enough to stand before the God and say, on the basis of what you have done, I'm letting you in heaven for eternity. It's not a go hope. It's not a good works out way in the bad works. Here's the way it is. Boom! And we've got no hope whatsoever. 
Jesus came. Yes, he was an example. He says it right here. I've given you an example. Follow my example. We read those words this morning. But Jesus did not come simply to be an example of how moral people can be better people. There are no good people apart from God's goodness in our lives. And we are only made right with God when we repent of our sin and, and, and acknowledge that when Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice, as the kids so beautifully have taught us from Scripture, that when Jesus died, he was the final sacrifice. There must be a payment for our sin. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on the cross, taking our sin upon himself. When we repent of our sins and acknowledge him as Savior, the Lord saves us and brings us into his family and places us in a community. Seek a community that exalts the crucified and risen Jesus. Not one that limits itself to speaking of God in a generic sort of way. Third, seek a gospel-centered community. Find a community that understands that to this day, the only goodness in us is what Christ has done for us. It's in Christ alone. Make sure that the people that you associate with desire to live as a gospel community and that they are serious about sharing the gospel with those who desperately need to hear it. And that implies it's difficult. It's not easy. It implies that you know something they don't. They, that's what they accuse you of all the time. You think you're better than us. You think just because you go to church, you think that I just did this one thing and I'm going to hell. That's what you think, isn't it? It's not easy to tell people that they need Jesus. Most people don't want to hear it. You need a gospel-centered community or you will become another community that does not base itself on what scripture says, but on whatever ways the winds are blowing. And mark my word, they're blowing one way today. They'll blow another way three weeks from now. So, seek a gospel-centered community. In other words, find a church where people are not ashamed to be associated with the cross of Jesus. And last... Join a community in which you will take the initiative to know and serve the others of the community. If you're a student who is a believer, chances are, in addition to the food we're about to receive here in just a few minutes, chances are you desire to be involved in a local church as well as an on-campus ministry. If so, then... Most likely one of two things. Either you're looking for a church where you can just sort of blend in, come in, sing the songs, and um, worship together, hear a sermon, and then sort of disappear back into your other world. Or you are looking for a community in which to serve. May I suggest the latter approach? If your walk with Jesus is the most important thing in your life, and if the way that God has designed for you to serve His body, the body of Christ, is in a local church community, go in seeking 
to serve. Look, if you come and I never know you over four years, okay, okay, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here in the Word. I'm glad you're rubbing elbows with other people. I'm glad you're in church. Rather you do that than not do it. But what a shame. I ought to get to know you. By the way, for new students, I'll remember your name when you buy my wife and me a steak dinner, okay? That's the deal. That's You take us out, we... We have expensive tastes, but now I will really... No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. You'll never pay for my meal. You can make us a meal, but you'll never pay for our meal. But you get the point. It's just a shame. And really, that's the focus of this, of this series. And in fact, the focus is so serious that last week I wondered if I didn't over sell the seriousness of the days ahead. We are going to need one another. I, I, I sense that, and we're going to find life in Christ. In two weeks, we're going to be talking about a persecuted church. Uh, we have been living in exceptionally good times over the last many years, especially in the West. We've not received, we've not been uh, really persecuted to any significant level uh, that may very well change uh, in the future. And we're going to need each other. And God doesn't call us to come in and just constantly commiserate about how awful the world is or how difficult times are. He calls us to find joy in serving one another. And the world looks at that and they say, you know what? I don't like some of the things that they say. But my goodness, those people love each other. They forgive each other. They, they, they care about. And I know that they don't always, they're not always, I know this person, I know this person. They're not exactly in the same place politically. But they love each other deeply. Lots of people come into a church and they say, you know, I just don't know anyone here. And nobody reached out to me, and that's really on us, and it's a shame. And I, you know, I send things and say, hey, just remember, be serving, be, reach out to other people. Guess what? If you start serving, I'm going to guess you're going to be recognized fairly soon. And if it's not the first day, just keep serving. If you have a heart to serve, people are going to know who you are. They're going to want to know who you are. But this is a day in which I am offended. And it's also a day in which Jesus says, as he always have, get over yourself. Serve. Get in. Get your hands dirty. Love on people and let them love on you. What if they don't? Well, I think they will, but if they don't, when you're serving others from the heart, Jesus is shining through you. He's pleased. The Lord will be close today. Let us all pray that the Lord will make us people of the towel. The towel that Jesus used to dry the feet of his disciples after he washed them. Let's pray.
as we go to the Lord in prayer, one of the ways that we serve one another and those who don't know Christ that are in our community is through a benevolence offering. If this is your first time, I promise you we don't take two offerings every service. But we do on the last Sunday of the month, we'll be taking a benevolence offering. Uh, this is strictly used to um, help people in need. And the Lord has given us generous hearts. And that's a gift. That's not anything about us. What a privilege it is to serve in this way. So uh, we'll be taking that offering. Father, our hearts are deeply uh, troubled in some ways about uh, the level to which we serve ourselves instead of others. And they are at the same time excited that you have put us in a community that is called to do that. And as we have been reading about just about all summer, Lord, a big part of that is forgiving one another, bearing with one another. Lord, make us a serving community may other people know that we are your disciples by our love not for Jesus which of course this comes from that but by our love for one another in some ways that's the gospel that people see and hear when they look at us of course it has to be words telling the good news of Jesus death but Lord May we show the love of Christ as we wash one another's feet and as we serve you by serving one another. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.